As we were earlier sharing about uh, the beauty of God's body being larger than just our church, uh, today we're reminded of his work throughout our city through one of our partnerships. And so uh, Pastor Eric, when he was on sabbatical, uh, went to visit a couple of other ministries. And one of the ministries he went to go visit uh, was New City located in Royal Oak. And so he was able to connect with a pastor who's actually going to preach uh, for us today and encourage us in God's word. Uh, but I, I, I don't know this brother extremely well, but he comes from the seminary that I intended, so he got to be down. You know what I mean? <laughs> so come on up, Nate. This is Nate, uh, pastor with New City Church, one of the pastors there, and uh, I want to pray for him now. And uh, then... Jenny will be reading our scripture verse for the day, and then he will be preaching and encouraging us from God's scripture. So let's pray together. Lord, we are so thankful for Nate uh, and his uh, great wife, Fallon, who's in the back. Lord, we're thankful that you've called them to yourself, and now they have uh, moved their family to be on mission for you in the city of Royal Oak. Would you equip him, Father, uh, to encourage us in the gospel today, that as we continue in this study of Exodus, that uh, we would understand what it means to be a people set apart for your glory. We love you, Lord, uh, and we're thankful to see what, how you allow this partnership to blossom uh, and flourish. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank, you. Thank you, brother. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Today's reading comes from Exodus 20, 18 to 26. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones, for if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not exposed on it. This is God's word. Be seated. Good morning and greetings from New City Church. We also meet at a middle school with no AC, so I feel your pain. And uh, our passage this morning, if you can keep your Bibles open to Exodus 20, 18 through 26, it might be on the screen behind us, but Exodus 20, 18 through 26. And our passage this morning comes on the tail end of the Ten Commandments. This beautiful prescription of obedience to God that I'm sure Leon did an incredible job preaching on a few weeks ago. I'm, I'm assuming that, right? He did a great job. And an event occurs right after the Ten Commandments that captures an important aspect 
of God's relationship with his people. The fact that they needed a mediator, a go-between, who could bridge the gap between a holy God and an unholy people, and would in fact, this mediator would in fact provide the only way by which the people of God could approach him. So before we dive right into this, let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Pray that you would open the mouth of your servant, that I would preach your word faithfully and truthfully. And that you'd open the ears and hearts of your people right here, that they would respond to your word as you would have them. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as we see here in 20, uh, chapter 20, the first 17 verses of Exodus all deal with the Ten Commandments, and which were given to Moses on Mount Sinai. But when we get to verse 18, which is the first verse of our passage this morning, Moses, the author of Exodus, uh, like a skilled movie director, pans down from the mountain, Mount Sinai, where God just bestowed upon his people this incredible law, the Ten Commandments. It's an amazing scene, and Moses switches from this great scene of God, and the view now is of this sniveling, frightened, trembling people, the people of Israel. It's such a contrast that cannot be missed. In fact, it's a contrast that Moses often makes throughout the book of Exodus. God is all-powerful. The people are all weak. God is a consuming fire. The people are just consumed. God is faithful. The people are faithless. God is holy. The people are sinful. But we cannot blame the people of Israel for being afraid, shaking in their boots, because if we were there on that mountain and we saw it on fire and smoking and we saw uh, and heard the voice of God, we would be uh, terrified as well. What's interesting about this passage, though, is that it doesn't seem to quite fit in the context of the passages surrounding it. It's almost like it's a brief interlude between God giving the law, giving the Ten Commandments in chapters 19 and, and really specifically 20, and then God giving other laws, civil, ceremonial, and moral laws in chapters 21 through 24, but sandwiched in between this is our passage this morning, and it's this brief nine-verse description of God talking with Moses, but not just talking, God talking to Moses, Moses talking for the people, and that's the whole point. Verses 18 through 26 are to highlight and underscore and emphasize and scream out the fact that God demands a mediator. Why? Because if the people had to stand before God and speak to him themselves, they would die, as it says in verse 19. They could not stand in God's presence, and they were terrified of even the possibility of doing so. This is an important concept for us to understand our relationship with God, the need for a mediator. It's interesting that we can often lose our minds when we meet someone famous I don't know if you guys have ever met someone famous. I never have. But if you've met someone famous, usually uh, this just really odd scenario uh, begins to take place where their heart starts beating rapidly and their palms get sweaty. And for some, pe- some reason, people just lose their minds in the presence of another person who's famous. And when I was living in Indianapolis, uh, where I'm from, which is, I was born in Indianapolis, I often get mistaken for Peyton Manning, who was the former quarterback of Indianapolis Colts, 
Uh, and I'm a huge Colts fan. They played the Lions the first game of uh, NFL, just a little an aside there. Um, but this was before I had long hair and a beard, and uh, we're about the same size. I'm a little bigger than him. Maybe. No, he's, we're about, he's bigger than me. Uh, but people would stop me, and for some reason, they thought that we looked alike. And almost weekly at the grocery store or wherever, someone would stop me and say, are you Peyton Manning? To which I obviously replied, of course, yes, and uh, then proceeded to sign an autograph for them. Uh, now, before you get too upset, I always sign the autographs as Nathan, not as Peyton. So there's no, there's no like, fake Peyton Manning autograph, at least not by my pen. Uh, well, I was in a coffee shop, this was years ago, in Indianapolis, and the person behind the counter asked me the same question I had received countless times before, are you Peyton Manning? And I just felt a little spontaneous that day, a little spunky, and I said, no, I'm his brother Eli. And that proceeded to uh, create an uproar in the coffee shop, and the barista who asked me that question literally ran away into the back room. And she could not even be in my presence. She was yelling from the back room to the other barista, her go-between, her mediator, to get the autograph for me. So this, I mean, you have to imagine, Starbucks, it's packed, and people are like all looking at me, wondering, is it really Eli Manning? And I'm talking to this barista, I'm kind of yelling at her and talking to this person saying, you know, what's your name? I'm signing an autograph. Best wishes, Jessica, whatever her name was. Uh, Yours truly, Nate. The, the go-between, the mediator, you know, and I, we were just laughing because he knew, he knew that wasn't really Eli Manning, but she had no idea. So she has a napkin, maybe to this day, she has it framed somewhere with uh, best wishes, Nate. But what made this girl behind the counter run away as soon as she believed she was in the presence of Eli Manning? I, I thought about this. I, I really can't come up with a good answer. I don't know why people just lose their mind when they're in the presence of another person. And something wrong? All right, I'll just use this. There we go. I, was, uh, I should have told you guys earlier, I had the worst luck with uh, uh, hand, not handheld, but uh, what's the wireless mics. So thank you for this. All right. Uh, where was I? So it's an interesting question to why do people lose their minds? But the answer for why the people of Israel were afraid in God's presence is obvious. They saw a glimpse of the living God, the creator of heaven and earth. They saw his holiness. They saw his power. And it was terrifying. When they, saw the pre- when they were in the presence of the true almighty king, and in contrast, they realized just how small, how weak, and how sinful they truly were. That's why I told Moses, Moses, you speak for us. You, it's almost like you could see them pushing Moses to the front of the line and say, God, God, speak to him. Don't speak to us. We are far too sinful to talk with you. We will die. They saw God in his glory, and they saw themselves in their shame, and they were just undone. But more than this, God's holiness or his set-apartness or his separateness was too great for them to endure. The contrast between God and his creation was far too great, is far too great. We cannot imagine a greater difference than between God, a holy God, and us. You and I have never seen anything that's separate or set apart from our reality, right? The tallest mountain in the world is only incrementally taller than the next tallest mountain. The most beautiful sunset is probably very similar 
to other beautiful sunsets. The, the best or greatest athlete in the world is just probably only a fraction better than the next best athlete, except Peyton Manning. He's the best by a long shot. He's set apart. Uh, just kidding. But I sometimes have a penchant for, uh, to, look for, to, to look for the best of something kind of wherever I go. My wife just calls it being picky. Uh, but I love it when I hear this is the best cup of coffee in Detroit. Or these are the best tacos in, in Detroit, which I went to the place in Detroit that apparently has the best, this is yesterday, apparently has the best tacos. Uh, they were good. But uh, I always want to try that. I want to I experience it. But more times than not, however, the expectation disappoints because the best is only slightly better than the good. This is not true with God. He is categorically greater. There is nothing we can compare him to. There is nothing that we say of God if we saw him, oh, he's just like this, but just bigger. Or he's just like this, but he's just better. Or he's like that person, but he's just, he's just wiser. You can't even take all of the attributes of mankind, his power or strength or wisdom or knowledge or love or generosity, all these things. You can't just multiply them by infinity and then you have God because we all start from the same starting point, which is man, something that we know. God is infinitely greater. We don't even possess a category to put God in. We cannot imagine, we're unable to picture, to dream, to comprehend a God who has existed for all eternity, has been here forever, can fill the universe with his presence, can speak stars into existence by the word of his mouth, and can know the smallest details of every single person living on earth of your life. We have ideas, of course, but they are all infinitely smaller and far less grand than the reality of who God really is. Your thoughts and my thoughts do not give God justice. But here's the rub. If he was just infinitely greater and all-powerful and terrifying, but he was somewhere out in space, far distant, not interested in the affairs of mankind, that would be one thing. A guy like that we would never have to be concerned with. We would never hear from him. We would never see him. He would be out of sight, out of mind. But that's not the case. And that's not what Exodus chapter 20, 18 through 26 is trying to convey. God is not only transcendent, he's imminent. The Holy One has come down. He's near. He's involved. God is just as much out there as he is right here in this place. The terrifying reality of God is not just in heaven, but on earth as well. And this God who, this Exodus chapter 20, 18 through 26, really portrays as a terrifying God. And of course, there's other passages in the Bible that portray God as an incredible, gracious, loving Father. But this passage that we're looking at is really conveying him as a terrifying, awe-inspiring God. And he's intimately involved in my life, and there is no getting away from that. Our son, S-U-N, is an incredibly awe-inspiring, massive ball of fire. It literally is billions of nuclear explosions a second. Uh, But I can go into my house and be completely protected from the sun by that. I can lock myself in a room and never see the sun and never feel its effects. That's not the case with God. There is no place to hide from him. There is no room to lock yourself in. God sees, hears, and knows all. And this is so important for us to understand, 
to us for us to come to grips with because we have to understand that we cannot stand before a God like this without a mediator. He sees, hears, knows all, and he knows the details of our lives. A wonderful movie that I saw uh, years ago, but I, I kind of rewatched it, it was The Truman Show. I'm not sure if you've ever seen that movie, but it's starring Jim Carrey. He's the main character. He's the subject of this reality television show. It's unlike any other reality television show ever. And it's filmed in this enclosed, uh, fabricated world where Truman thinks is real. And he's the star of the show. And he doesn't even realize he's on TV. And the, uh, the producer of the film, it's, it's been filming him since birth. And throughout his whole life, it's the millions of people outside this enclosed reality are watching him weekly. It's an uh, incredible reality show. And it's certainly a satire against uh, or about the manipulation of uh, media in our lives, but it also has obvious biblical illusions. The producer of the show is called The Creator. He makes a world for an atom to live in, which is Truman. At the end, Truman finds that his world is merely a television show set, and he is about to leave to find out what is on the other side. It's a wonderful scene when the creator speaks to him from heaven through this microphone. So, you know, Truman's out there and just, uh, he's out by the sea and just wide open, but he hears the voice of the creator. To him, it sounds like the voice of God. Truman says, who are you? The creator says, I am the creator of a television show that gives hope and joy and inspiration to millions of people. Who am I then? Creator, you're the star. Was nothing real? Creator, you were real. That's what, what made you so good to watch. Listen to me, Truman. There is no more truth out there than in the world I created for you. Same lies, same deceit, but in my world, you have nothing to fear. I know you better than you know yourself. And then Truman throws up his hands in disgust, and he goes, you never had a camera in my head. The implication of this dialogue, and maybe what was intended by the writers, is that there is no creator who has a camera in your head. That's a superstitious reality. That's hocus-pocus mythology. Religion is merely a device created by man to instill fear in other people. But the truth is so much more compelling. God doesn't need cameras. He sees your heart. He knows your thoughts. He is with you when you lie down and when you wake up. He sees what you do at work, what you do in secret. He sees how you treat your spouse and your children. He knows what you worship and what you truly love. And I propose that there is nothing more terrifying than being completely known and to have done wrong. It's one thing to be completely known and innocent. If that were so, I would say to God, search me. See if you can find anything. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm innocent. But we are far from innocent. In our hearts and in our actions, every day we have rebelled against our creator, the Holy One of Israel. We have refused to worship him, and we have chosen to worship ourselves or objects of our own creation. As verse 23 says, gods of silver and gold. What are the gods of silver and gold in your life? And this is why we desperately need a mediator. This is why we desperately need a mediator. We are unable to stand before a judge of the entire earth. So God appointed Moses to represent us. 
And you may say, wait a second. Wasn't Moses just like me? Wasn't he a man just like me? Wasn't he just as sinful as I am? Yes. Yes, Moses was just as sinful. He was terribly sinful. We know that. But he was only a type of the one to come. Moses was only a foreshadow. Moses was not the mediator between God and Israel for Moses' sake. He was the mediator so that he could be a picture of Jesus. Jesus, who, one who truly was sinless, one who really could stand in our place as the perfect God-man, one who could bridge the gap between a holy God and an unholy people. The point of Moses was to point to Jesus. Jesus is the greater Moses. Everything in the life of Moses, everything in the life of Moses was just a shadow of the one to come, Jesus Christ. Just as Pharaoh attempted to kill Moses before God could use him, so so King Herod tried to kill Jesus before he could become king. Just as Moses spent 40 days fasting in the desert, so Jesus spent 40 days fasting in the desert. Just as Moses' face radiated like the sun when he was on the mountain, so Jesus' appearance was like the sun when he spoke with God at the transfiguration in Matthew 17. Just as Moses was rejected over and over again by his people, so Jesus was rejected by his people, the Jews. And just as Moses went up on the mountain to be a surrogate for the people, so Jesus climbed a mountain to be our surrogate. But his mountain was not Mount Sinai. His mountain was Calvary. Mount Sinai where the law was given, but Mount Calvary where only death was given. Moses was surrounded by darkness and fire on Mount Sinai. Jesus was surrounded by the darkness and fire of God's perfect wrath and judgment. That's why the biblical writers, all of them, who give an account of Jesus' death, what do they say? The whole land became dark. God's wrath was being poured on Jesus Christ, who was the perfect, greater Moses. Christ came to stay in our place, but our place was not one of prominence and security. Our place was one of condemnation under the weight of sin. Jesus took upon himself the full punishment of that sin so that we wouldn't have to. And that's the key to Exodus 20, 18 through 26. It's the key to the entire Bible. Everything in the Bible points to a holy God and unholy people, and the desperate need for a mediator to bridge the gap. And now through the mediation of Jesus Christ, the fact that God knows everything about us is actually comforting. Because even with that knowledge, he loved us and died for us and cares deeply for us. God is not just a consuming fire any longer, as the book of Hebrews writes, but to those who have received him by faith, He is our heavenly father. To those who have placed their trust in Christ alone, he is our hope of salvation, our comfort, and our peace. Mac Avenue, that is some wonderful news. In our passage, something else that's interesting about it is that Moses was not the only person that went up on the mountain. He took his brother Aaron with him, who was a priest We see this in chapter 19, verse 24. Why is this significant? Well, they're both types. They're both a foreshadow, representing different aspects of the one mediator who was to come. Moses was the redeemer. Do you recall? He was the one that brought Israel out of Egypt, just as Jesus brought 
us out of slavery of sin. Moses was also the judge of Israel. He would try cases that the people brought before him. Moses was also a prophet, as Deuteronomy 18 states. But Aaron was the priest. What does a priest do? He intercedes on our behalf with prayer and sacrifice. Here's what's amazing. Jesus fulfilled all of these roles in one person. Redeemer, judge, prophet, priest, sacrifice, and king. In him, we have everything we need to approach God because we approach him now not on our own merit, but upon Christ's. You are not acceptable to God because of anything you have done. You are not acceptable to God because of anything you have done. All our works, Isaiah 54 says, are filthy rags. You can only speak with God because of who Jesus is and what he's done. You can only stand before God because of what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he has done. This is the only way that we can actually approach God and stand in his presence. There was, um, years ago, I was, uh, I don't know, a rough teenager, I guess, like most, like many, and um, I had gotten into uh, some trouble with drugs my senior year, I was selling drugs, and I, I was arrested for uh, possession and some other things like that. And uh, so senior year of high school, and I decided when the court date was set to come before the judge, I decided just to not show up, which is a big no-no. You don't do that. Uh, so I just didn't show up for two years, uh, just kind of doing my own thing. And uh, my mother at the time, and still does, worked for the, works for the prosecutor's office, which uh, you can imagine the conversation she was having with her boss uh, about me. But uh, I just uh, went off to college, did my own thing, and there was a bench warrant out for my arrest. Uh, so they weren't going like, to send people to get me, but if I was ever pulled over for a, a traffic violation or whatever, they would just haul me off. And um, I became a Christian in college, and I decided that uh, I probably need to turn myself in. <laughs> uh, so I, I went to my mother, and I said, uh, I'm ready to turn myself in. And she talked to the prosecutors and to the judge or whoever. She kind of went behind the scenes, and she was like, uh, I got this taken care of. If you just come in, uh, we're, we're just going to let you go. You know, they're just going to let you go. So I was like, awesome, you know. So I stand before the judge, uh, my time comes up, I stand before him, and I remember this scene as if it was yesterday, it was 15 years ago, and uh, I'm standing before him, and I'm expecting that I am just going to be let free, and my mom's actually in the, uh, in the uh, crowd as well, and the judge, he asks one question, he goes, uh, where have you been at this whole time? And I wasn't prepared to say anything. I just didn't have an answer. I was like, I just, I don't know, college, you know. And he was like, well, why do you think I should let you go? And I was like, "Uh, I don't know. I just, I didn't have any, I was just tongue-tied. And uh, he goes, well, I'm not going to let you go. Your court date's set for November 20th. Bailiff, take him away. And this was in August. So I was about to go, you know, to jail for for four months. And I remember the... (laughs) the bailiff taking me away and I'm looking over at my mom who's still in the audience in the crowd and I'm just like what just happened did you trick me that's what I was thinking uh, but the uh, bailiff takes me away I'm in the jail cell behind the courtroom I'm there for just about an hour or something and then all of a sudden the bailiff comes back and he goes 
you know, Moretta will come over. Uh, the judge wants to see you. And I'm just like, what is going on here? And I come over and I stand before the judge. And this time, rather than my mother being in the crowd, in the audience, she's standing beside the judge. And the judge said this. I'll never forget this. Son, I don't know you. And I don't necessarily like you. But I know your mom. And I like her. And because of her, I'm going to let you go. He hit the gavel. And I was a free man. I don't have a story or illustration in my life that conveys the need for a mediator better than that one. And we see in verse 20 that Moses says God has come to test the people, to test our hearts, that we may fear him and not sin. It's interesting that Moses says, do not fear, right, in verse 20. But then he says, that the fear of him may be before you. Why? Why do we need this fear? God tested our hearts. And this test was not just to see what was inside the Israelites. God already knew what was inside the Israelites. It was to implant an experience that would forever remind them of the holiness of God. It was to be a perpetual reminder of God's action towards his people. The Israelites needed a reminder, just like I need a reminder from 15 years ago of how my mother stood as a mediator on my behalf, and that was a picture of Jesus. We need reminders. What's amazing is that 2 Peter 1.18 through 19, it's, it talks about this, uh, it talks about the voice of God. And it says that we have an experience that's even more sure. It's an even better reminder than hearing the voice of God. That's crazy. Second Peter, you don't have to turn there right now, just later on. Second Peter 1, 18 through 19, Peter's talking about his own experience of hearing the voice of God on the mountain during the transfiguration. And he's saying we actually have a better reminder so that it's even better than if God right now audibly spoke to us. We have something even better and more sure, more guaranteed, and a better reminder for us. We have the Word of God. Better than hearing God's voice on Mount Sinai is hearing God's voice in the Scriptures. This is what keeps us from sinning. This is what continues to keep us on a path of obedience and righteousness. Psalm 119.9 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? Or a young woman, or an old man, or an old woman. How can a young man keep his way pure? Keeping your way pure is synonymous with not sinning. And the psalmist gives the answer, by guarding our way according to the word of God. He goes on to say in verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The psalmist never heard the audible voice of God, but he had something far greater, the word of God. It's our protection against sin. It's a sword of the spirit that God uses to keep our hearts on worshiping, pleasing, and obeying him. Mac Avenue, are you hiding God's word in your hearts? Are you meditating on scripture? Are you memorizing scripture? Are you reading this book? That is the very word of God that's better than an audible voice of God. I would say if you heard the audible voice of God, I, I wouldn't trust it. It might be like the truth. Somebody would be talking to you through like a microphone or a loudspeaker. This 
is more trustworthy than the word than an audible voice. The Israelites had this great reminder of to not sin. They had this great scene of the mountain on fire and God speaking. But we have the word of God. But we also have other reminders. We have our baptism. We have our conversion. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Lord's Supper, which I believe we're celebrating today. And when the temptation to sin comes, we must remind ourselves, I have been baptized in Jesus Christ. That's my reminder. I am in him and he is in me. I need his grace. I need his Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for this reminder, this perpetual reminder of eating the body and blood, the bread and wine. It's a reminder for us of Jesus Christ and the word of God. In closing, God commanded the people in verse 24, Exodus chapter 20, verse 24, to make an altar of earth for sacrifices. And it's kind of an an odd command. And he adds to the oddness by saying, just pile up a bunch of dirt. (laughs) He said, really, just like a bunch of random rocks. He doesn't even want like a cut rocks, no tools on the rocks. And offer your worship to me there. Don't even have steps on the altar, it says. Perhaps this was an allusion to the Tower of Babel or to other Canaanite temples that attempted to bridge the gap from earth to heaven with elaborate staircases and to give man access to the gods by their own accord. They can walk right up to heaven and be with God. They can bridge that gap on their own. They have the ability. They don't need a mediator to go before them. Not so for us. There will be no steps going up, for God came down to us, the infinitely holy, all-powerful, right here in our midst, has a man, has Jesus Christ. As Colossians 1.19 says, for in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The fullness of God. We just got done talking about how God's infinitely greater than we can imagine. His power, all omnipotent, omniscient, everlasting, and all that fullness of God in a man. And Paul goes on to say in verse 20, the next verse, and through him, through that God-man, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, making peace, by the blood of his cross. This terrifying God has made peace with you through the blood of his son. This is the greatest news we have ever heard. The mediation worked. We can now stand before God, and more than that, we are now as very children adopted into his family as sons and daughters. Mac Avenue, this is why we worship. This is why we gather here. We are chosen by God. We have peace with the living, holy God through Jesus Christ alone. Let us live as if this were true, because it is. Let us go out in the world proclaiming Christ, living as if we know that there's a mediator who has stood in our place and we are accepted fully by him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word that is true, even more true and more sure than if we heard an audible voice. 
Your word is the lamp to our feet and the light to our path. We pray, I pray for Mac Avenue and New City Church that we would be churches that love your word. Thank you for the mediator, the G- Jesus Christ, the greater Moses, who stands as a bridge between a holy God and an unholy people. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.